are going into the first of two, okay, the first of two Sundays that we will be talking about Restore. Many of you know uh, very well our mission statement. Uh, if you don't know it, I want to encourage you to find out what our mission statement is. Uh, but here's what we're going to do. If you have, okay, watch this. You guys already know. I'm going to get you, I'm going to try to get you to download our church app. And, and once I hear that every single person in the church has our church app, then I'll stop. But I know that's never going to end because Lord willing, we'll always be adding to the body. Amen? So if you open your church app and you go to website, you'll find it there. If you go straight to our website from home and you scroll, the first thing you see when it opens up is restore, equip, send. Okay, you'll see that on our homepage. When you scroll down to the bottom, you're going to come to where it says we exist. So we are communicating to the world, to everyone to everyone why we believe Mission Ebenezer exists, why we believe and what we believe God has called us as a church to do. Do you believe with us? Yeah? So I don't know if you've seen this. How many of you have seen our mission statement? Come on, raise your hand. If you've seen our mission statement, if you've heard one of the pastors share our mission statement, that's fine. You could raise your hand too. Danny Ixta, I know, I'd, dude, it's so good to see you, brother. It's good to have you. I know you're not in town always. You're here with your family, your beautiful family. Uh, it's great to see you. This young man, uh, is that Jesse also? That's Jesse also right there, his big brother. It's good to see the Ixta boys uh, in the house over here. Uh, some of you are probably wondering what in the world and who is Pastor Joe talking about. Uh, these, these young men, uh, I was going to say boys because <laughs> they were boys when, <laughs> when they were in our youth ministry. But uh, these young men, they're men now. They got their families, their babies. Uh, came into our house here, into God's house, uh, when they were just teenagers. Um, and uh, they were messing around in the neighborhood, and I, I believe they were messing around in church, running around, causing havoc, getting crazy, and they're still messing around. For, uh, but now in good ways, in good ways, in good ways. Amen? So it's good to see you guys, man. It's good to see you guys. You guys just made my day. So we exist as a church, number one, to restore. Everybody say restore. restore. Number two, to equip. Come on, everybody. It's like, okay, I guess some of us didn't get our coffee. We exist to restore. Restore, everybody. Restore. restore. To equip. Restore. And to send. Amen. All right. So as a church, as a community, okay, the building is a church building, right? You can call it temple. You can call it a tabernacle. It's a church building. But now I want everybody to look around. Some of us, when, when uh, our MC says, go ahead and shake somebody's hand, say hi to somebody, some of us just stay, sit, we sit down and we cross our arms and we don't want nothing to do with anybody. Okay? All right. But check it out. And, and I'm not going to get on you today. I'm just messing around a little bit. I'm having fun. Is it okay if I have fun with you guys? Yeah? But we are, if you look around the congregation, I want you to look from one side to the other. Start to get to know the faces of the body that you and I belong to. Because this is the body of Christ. Right? And the body of Christ extends throughout the entire world. Amen? So when we look across the aisles... From one side of the church to the other, we can say, this is my community. This is my community. I am part of this body of believers. Now, when you begin to think about that, you might think, wow, I don't know if I fit into this body of believers. Sometimes we feel like we don't want to be part of the body of believers <laughs> around us. But, you know, it doesn't matter if we feel a certain way. God Listen to me very carefully. God has made it so that you and I would come to find a home here at his house. That we would find a place among the differences, among the diversity, among the different colors, no matter the background. So that you and I would find a place here in this community and we could say, 
I am a part of the body of believers here. Okay? So, so if you and I, that includes myself, it doesn't matter if I'm a pastor or not. The title does not matter. If you and I have accepted Christ, have agreed, are coming, are making this place our home, and we are making this our community, we're making this our family, we are in the process of restoration. We are in the process of being equipped. And then we'll get into the third one a few weeks from now, but check it out. Each and every one of us has a responsibility. And I believe there's a responsibility at a certain level in each and every one of these three words, each and every one of these three beliefs of restore, equip, send. When we begin to be restored in Christ, it's my responsibility to help others also come along. Do you hear what I'm saying? It's my responsibility. It's our responsibility to bring others into the awareness Okay? It's our responsibility to bring others, to encourage others, to desire a restoration in Jesus Christ. Right? It's our responsibility to bring others, not only for myself to be equipped, but to bring others alongside with me and say, come on, let's start building up this body. Let's start building up this community. Let's encourage each other. Not tear us down, right? But let's encourage each other. Let's build, let's build the body of Christ, the body of believers and this heart, this last one, go ahead, man, come on. If we're going to clap together, let's clap as one body, as one body. Can't do anything if my two fingers are clapping by themselves, right? I don't sound like anything, but when I get my whole hand clapping and I start praising the Lord, then we can make some noise for Jesus, right? All right. Sometimes the last one is the hardest one because, you know, let's be honest, let's be truthful. We all like to be comfortable, right? We all, we all have a certain level of desire to just kick it. Let me just throw on some Netflix. Let me, let me put on some comfortable clothes. And let me just relax. Let me enjoy, right? You know, I, I enjoy going to a movie theater. I do especially the ones with the nice leather seats that recline. And then Logan, for whatever reason, he has this thing where he just loves to come and lay on top of dad. He likes to, like, get right there real nice. Movie theaters are freezing cold. I don't know. I mean, I guess I kind of understand why, but every time I go into a movie theater, my feet get cold. So I have to remind myself, don't wear sandals to the movie theater. But, but I enjoy, okay, I enjoy getting into relaxed mode. I do. We're constantly going as parents, right? We're constantly going from one place to the next. I enjoy a certain level of chill and kick back. But, but, and here's the one that we don't like. And I'm taking a little bit of time to do this introduction so we all know where we're going in the next few weeks. I want us to know where we're going in the next few weeks. I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be equipped. I want you to be restored. But this last one is very hard for some of us because we just want to come to God's house and chill. Y no los estoy regañando. I'm not getting on your case today. I should have... They, they, Koba, I think we should have switched because my Spanish is just wanting to come out. Pastor Koba will be in Spanish service tonight. So if you want to hang out for two services, God's going to bless you. <laughs> Go get a snack and come back. I'm not getting on your case, but that's just the way we are. That's the way we are. That's in our nature. We want to be comfortable. We want to come to a nice chair. We want to relax. We want to just listen. We want to receive. And then we want to go home and feel good, right? But look, there's a challenge. There's a challenge at every step of these, but especially on this last one, it's a little more emphasis on, hey, as believers, as part of the body of Christ, everybody say, I am, I am. Part, of part of the body of Christ. He says, hey, you don't have to wait until you're fully restored. 
You don't have to wait until you're fully equipped. Every one of us has the responsibility to go. We all have the responsibility that when they send us out, out of these doors, and we hit Monday, it's game time on Monday. Okay? This isn't game time. This is just like, come on, let's get a huddle. Okay? This is just uh, coaches talking. This is the planning center. This is the planning time. This is the brainstorming time. This is where you get ideas. All right, here I come Monday. Let's do this. And it's our responsibility to get out there, to be sent, and to do sending. Okay? To be sent and to do sending. So as a body of Christ, as a church, I want us to be encouraged today and look forward to the weeks to come as different pastors come to share God's word on restore, equip, send. Amen? So I'll, I'll finish my, that little intro with this. It says, when you find restore on our website and our mission statement, restoring people to God. Restoring people to God, restoring people to family, restoring people to church, restoring people to community. I added all the little emphasis there on restoring. But those are the areas that we feel God has called us as a church to restore anyone who makes a choice or decision to come to Jesus Christ back to their creator, back to God, to teach them, to encourage them. To help them be restored back to God, the family, the church, and to the community. Can you say amen to that today? So, as I was preparing for today, I said, you know, I'm, I'm, if you've heard me in the past, I'm a big car fan. I love certain types of cars. Um, but Volkswagen Bugs are one of uh, something I grew up with. We must have had my sisters here today, by the way, and my two nieces. Just raise your hand, guys. You guys don't have to stand up. That's my sister Ruth and my niece Melody and Priscilla. And they came out here to escape, you know, the humid heat of the, you know, Imperial Valley Desert out there in Yuma, um, which you guys have heard me talk about many times. As I was preparing, I started thinking about this, and this came to mind because I thought, I've always appreciated restored vehicles, classic cars, when you restore them, right? But most of the time, or generally speaking, in restoration processes, you take something, right, that's already there, that maybe doesn't look very nice anymore, looks like could use some love, which usually translates to a lot of dollars, um, it could be a house, it could be a vehicle, it could be an object, like a classic, an old, you know, antique desk or something that needs a little bit of love to help preserve, to help preserve its value, correct? That's most of the time when we talk about restoration or making something new again, you want to make it exactly that, new again. But there's this trend going on, and it's been now for a few years. And I don't know if you've heard or seen cars, classic cars, and they call it a patina look. Have you guys seen that? No? Do you know what that is? They're, they're, we're going to show you. So I've seen this, in, especially in the neighborhood there in Wilmington. There's even a little shop uh, on Wilmington. I believe it's Wilmington Boulevard. But there's a little shop there, and these guys actually... Their emphasis is on taking your patina or taking your ugly, rusted up Volkswagen, okay, and start making it look nice. Start making it look drivable, usable, but this is what they're doing. And you see this car, if you go back to that previous picture, if you see the car itself, if you see that car from far away, you'll say, that's a rusty looking car. That car needs some work done on it. Now, if you're somebody who works on cars, you're going to say, that rust needs to get sanded, grinded out, all the way down to the bare metal when it's all gone. You need to get rid of all that rust. Because if you don't get rid of all the rust, it's like cancer. It just keeps spreading. 
But apparently these folks who are in this industry have found a way to just clean it up. And then if you keep going through the pictures, you'll see that this car actually has a really nice shine to it. Well, you know you can't shine up rust like that. You can't shine that up, you know, just by itself. So they've taken and gone through a process of being able to lock it in and trap it in there with a lot of gloss, you know, the shiny coat on top. And I started thinking, why would I use this to talk about restoration? Nobody wants to be restored and still look jacked up. But yet, a car like this, right now, a car like this, the engine has been restored. The suspension has been restored. The wheels have been restored, because those aren't original wheels. Everything on this car has been restored. From far away, you wouldn't know. But when you get close to it and you start examining, and you start to find out this car has been restored. Would you believe this is a 1960 Volkswagen? This car right here is selling for $25,000. Ain't that something? If you have a Volkswagen in your backyard, <laughs> let me know. I'll come and get it off your hands. I'll make you an offer you can't refuse. No, just kidding. Do you see what I'm getting at? There is value in something that does not look very beautiful. But yet it has gone through a restoration process. And that car now has been attached to it, has been added uh, a value, a very large value. Most of you would probably say, that's crazy. I would never pay $25,000 for a car like that. Honestly, I wouldn't either. <laughs> as much as I like them, I'll take the one that's in my driveway right now and just tell them, hey, can you guys do this to that, you know? And I started thinking about this, and I thought, isn't this just how God is in our lives in many of our situations? Because God isn't concerned of what you and I look like on the outside. Life, life, the different battles of life, the different experiences of life, have given to many of us scars, some spiritual, some emotional, some mental, some physical, that we could actually see. But yet God isn't concerned on how you and I look like on the outside. When God begins a restoration process in you and I, he doesn't say, Joe, I want to take away what you look like on the outside. I don't even care what you look like on the outside. I'm more concerned on what's going on on the inside. And you know, for some of us, we walk through life and don't even realize that there's restoration that needs to happen in our lives. We don't even know what kind of restoration to ask for. It's not until we start to come closer to Jesus that we begin to realize there's something wrong inside. I'm not doing things with the right heart. I may be doing things that look right, but they're not coming from the right place. They're just coming from the outside because I'm trying to look good. I'm trying to seem like I'm a good person. I want the world to see that there's something good about me. But yet on the inside, there's wrong motives. There's a wrong heart. There's an evil heart. Does everybody get where I'm going with this now? So when God begins to do a restoration process in our lives, it's not until... Really, we come closer to him that we realize, I need something to change. Something in my life needs to be transformed. And if I'm going in the direction of you, Lord, and every time I get closer to you, I start to realize more and more that there's something wrong, I need you to show me what's wrong. So that's where you and I, you know, really need to start digging deep and saying, okay, Lord, if I'm going to, okay, watch this. See, Restoration is a long process. Restoration can't happen overnight. We cannot restore a vehicle to its original look, to its original value, without investing a lot of time, energy, money, sweat, in some cases even blood. It is a long process. And if you don't have the patience, you're not going to make it through. You're going to want to take shortcuts. 
The temptation is going to come to say, well, this is good enough. How about we just go up to this point and move on? And God is saying, no, that's not the way it works. If you and I want to be made new, if you and I want a life in Christ, we are going to have to walk through this journey and be patient on this journey. This isn't a journey that you and I can walk in, I mean run in. This isn't a journey that you and I can rush. We can't say to him, hey, can you hurry it up a little bit? Because I have a lot of things to do, Lord. I got a lot of places to go to. I have a lot of bills to pay. I need you to put a little, you know, yeah. I need overnight express delivery. And God is saying, that's not the way it works. You know, every single one of us, no matter who we are, where we come from, when we really allow and ask the Lord to start working in our lives, have you ever peeled an onion? That's what I should have brought. It made us all cry today. You ever peeled an onion? You start peeling back those layers, and it's layer after layer after layer after layer. It's no wonder onions make us cry because there's like a spiritual connection there. When God starts peeling back the onion of our spiritual life, man, there's a lot of crying that happens, right? There's a lot of burning that happens. You start chopping onions, your eyes start burning. The first thing you feel is just a burning sensation. And then all of a sudden, the tears start coming out. And then not just tears, but, you know, everything else starts draining too, right? I'm not going to get too graphic. But it just starts draining from all areas. And it's burning. And you walk into the kitchen and you're starting to feel guilty as the husband because you're like, oh, what did I do now? Right? When you don't even see the onions being cut and peeled, you're like, oh, man, what did I do? And you start going through everything in your head that you did wrong that day, the day before, the week before. I forgot to do something. What did I forget? Oh, shoot, I forgot our anniversary. Oh, shoot, I forgot. You start going through all those, right? And then you realize and you hear the chopping and you're like, oh, it's just the onions. Thank God. Can I help you? No, I got it. It's the same thing in our spiritual lives, in our hearts. When God begins to work in our hearts, he says, Joe, this is going to be a process. And you have to commit to it. When we come to Christ, we have to make a commitment that we're going to stick to it no matter how hard it gets. No matter how hard and how ugly the storm gets. No matter how hard and so much crying that happens, how much hurt happens. Because when we are so used to, I, man, I haven't even gotten into our scriptures. When we are so used to, watch this. When we are, have gotten so accustomed to living, to living a sinful life. When we've gotten so used to operating, functioning. In our sins, in our ugliness. And then we come to Jesus. Sometimes we start to negotiate up here. And we start to think, you know what? I know how to live that way. I know how to lie. I know how to manipulate to get what I want. I know how to lie, I know how to steal, I know how to cheat. I know how to go to work high. I know how to hide the ugliness that I get involved in on a daily basis. I can hide all that. I have ways. See, I know how to function every single day in that. But to have to learn how to live a life of freedom, but to have to learn how to live a life, an abundant life, what does that even mean? How to live a life without guilt or shame? Because I have stuff that I use to kind of drown all that out. Does everybody see where I'm going? It's much easier to stay here. Lord, I know how to function in that. I know how to live every single day in that. But coming to you now, and you say you want to, like, remove all these things out of my life that for so long I've learned how to live in, and I've been okay with them. 
I don't even know how to stay in this life. How about I just go back a little bit, Lord? Just let me go back a little bit because that's easy for me. It's easier for me. But see, that's, that's the lie that Satan presents to you and I. Every single day of our lives, no matter how long you and I have been walking with Jesus, there's always different types of temptations. There's always different types of, you know, things that the devil will try to bring to our, our thoughts and our hearts to want to believe and to think that they are the way we should be living. And he says, this is better for you. Stay over here. That's the lie of the enemy. If today you're starting to negotiate with God, if today you're starting or trying to negotiate with him, why, hey, this is not, this is not really what I want. This is too hard. This isn't for me. God is saying, I have something better for you. I have a life for you that's going to bring so much more wholeness, so much more peace. You're not going to have to fight. You don't have to spend so much energy trying to hide the ugliness that's in your heart and in your life and in your thoughts. I have a life that can free you from all that, Jesus says. I have a life for you. When you think you've been living a wonderful life, when you think you've been living a wonderful way, an easier way, wait until you come and taste of what I have for you, says Jesus today to you and I. And honestly, it doesn't matter how long we've been walking with him. There's more and more and more. His mercies, his word says, are new every single day. So how can not... How can we not, even as longtime Christians and believers, want more and more of Jesus to see the newness that he has for you and I every single day? Young people, everybody that's hearing me today, it doesn't matter what it is on the outside. I know, I know that it's difficult to believe that. I know it's difficult to receive that. We all have something we don't like about ourselves. Tell my son Lucas, man, I wish I had nice straight hair like you. I'd let my hair grow out and look like a surfer, skater, and be like, cool. But I let my hair grow out, and it's just all curls. And I wish, and then other people tell me, pastor, I let my hair grow out well, it's a couple years back. Pastor, we never knew your hair was curly. That's because I always keep it nice and tight and short. We all have things we don't like about ourselves. Oh, I wish I was taller. <laughs> okay, now I know who wishes they were taller. But see, God is not interested, and he wants us to know. He, and he says to us, you know, I know that matters to you. I do. I know it. I know that matters to you. You know, we all wouldn't take our time in the morning. Getting all fixed up, dressed up, haircuts. Sometimes I think I should have been a barber. Girls, you guys think you should see some of the guys in the barber shop. You know, so we always talk about how the ladies spend a lot of time at the salon. The barber shop. Kidding me? There's guys that go in just to get the little line because they just got a fresh cut like three days ago. And they'll go in just to make it look fresher. Make it look clean. I'm not kidding. That's true. I do it at home. That's why I'm like, okay, I got to make this look fresh. I miss sometimes because I have to use, like, my hands back here. I didn't do it today. It's like I wear a collar shirt. It'll be hidden. <laughs> you see what I mean? We're just the same. We're just the same. And God knows us. He just wants to remind us, hey, it's not even about anything that you have on the outside don't worry about that because really where I want to start he says is right here I want to start on the inside and I love you so much that I'm here for the long haul I'm not going anywhere I want to be here with you and I want to bring you back into the fold that I created you to be in and to be a part of, and to function in, and to know that I have purpose for your life. And it's way greater and much more meaningful than anything you could ever look like. It doesn't matter how cool your beard is trimmed. It doesn't matter how nice the locks look on your head. He says, all of that to me is just like the cherry on top. He's like, I gave you the looks you have. I put you in that body. 
But you know what? It's not even about that, he says. I want you to honor me and glorify me with everything that you have. Everything that you have. The way I made you, I'm going to make you greater. All right. So here's what we'll do, okay? Here's what we'll do. I'm not running out of time, but I don't want to keep you for like an hour either, okay? So here's what we'll do. I have some passages I want to share with you that I really am excited about, okay? Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15, if you turn there with me. Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15. If you want, I'll just read them, and you guys can just listen. I'm okay with that. (laughs) But if you want to read along... Come on, let's do it. When you have it, say amen. Isaiah 57, verse 15. At first glance in this passage, I thought, what does this have to do with being restored, Lord? The Lord's been using this passage in my life this past week and a half since I first heard it and came across it. There's so much to this passage. And I started really digging into it, and I thought, this is so amazing. This is so Great for those of us who are being restored, and that should be every single one of us. Every single one of us that's looking for some type of transformation in our lives. Lord, I want you to work on this area in my life. Lord, I'm noticing that I'm not very patient. I need some restoration in my patience department. Okay? So watch this. Everybody at Isaiah 57, verse 15. It says, I dwell in the high and holy place. Who do you think is talking here? Okay. And it says, I dwell in the high and holy place. And what else does it say? With what? With who? With those, with him, with her, right? And I'm not trying to be politically correct there. I'm not. I'm not trying to be sensitive. I'm just telling you the word. He dwells with you and I. Everybody say, he dwells with me. Do you know what it means to dwell? Okay, do you know what it means to dwell? Just say yes or no. All right, everybody knows what it means to dwell? It doesn't just mean to live under the same roof. It doesn't. It doesn't just mean to live under the same roof. Because you can live under the same roof with somebody and you're not, you're not getting along. You don't even want to see each other in the morning. You don't even want to see each other in the afternoon. At all. Thank you. You do your best to ignore each other. You try to set your schedules to, like, not have to bump into each other. And then that extends into the workplace sometimes. Oh, I don't want to see that person today. Lord Jesus. Oh, oh no, we say this one. This is a funny one. Devil, not today. We start calling people the devil. That's messed up. Somebody cuts us, not not today, devil. We have all these little, like, Christianese, I call them sayings. It's hilarious. Somebody should write a book of all the little sayings we have as Christians. It's, it's actually quite ridiculous, right? But it's fun, I know. Not today, Satan. You know, and it's your boss. <laughs> it's your husband. Forget it, right? Testing our patience. Your wife. Your kids. Not today, Satan. There's three of them running around. Okay, we all understand. Dwelling isn't just about living under the same roof, right? Dwelling goes much deeper than that. Dwelling goes way more than that. There's intimacy in dwelling with somebody. Intimacy is involved at all levels. Spiritual intimacy with our creator It's something we all should strive for. As the restoration process starts in our lives, that's really what God is trying to do with you and I. He wants wants you to open up to him and allow him to be the dwelling place of your life. 
that you would say, you, Lord, are where I choose to dwell daily. I want to dwell with you. But look at what this passage says. He says, I dwell. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? God chooses to dwell with you and I. He desires to dwell with you and I. But look at what follows this. This is where it starts getting even, like, more amazing to me. I dwell in the high and holy place. Does he dwell in the low places? Watch this. I dwell in the high and holy place. With him who has a contrite and humble heart. Do, you, do we all know what contrite means? So when, okay, when we feel guilty about something, we all know, are we familiar with the word remorseful? When we have remorse, right? That means you felt bad for something you did, right? Contrite is right along those lines. When we have a contrite heart or a contrite spirit, okay, we feel bad for what we did. When we came to know Jesus, we started feeling bad for everything we learned how to function with every day of our lives. Some of us still function in some of those things, you know, and we don't even realize that we need God to deliver us from those things. We still function in manipulation, lying, cheating. We, we think getting away with little things at work is okay, you know. Where does that come from? There's dishonesty there, right? I even heard of, uh, uh, the other day I heard um, some of you may be familiar with John Bevere. He mentioned, you know, exaggeration. Exaggeration itself is a lie. I'm one of the biggest liars in that case because I love to exaggerate stories. And I said, Lord in heaven. Help me, Jesus. <laughs> not today, Satan, I told John Bevere in the video. I hope he's not listening today. I don't think he even knows who we are. <laughs> so when we have a contrite heart, are we walking around with our chest out, feeling good? I'm sorry, Lord. Oh, I'm sorry, Father. I messed up. I've had none of my kids come and say to me, hey, Dad, I messed up. I'm sorry. I feel so good. <laughs> my kids, Logan, starts to cry uncontrollably sometimes when he knows he messed up. Right? Some of us are the same way. When we have a remorseful, remorseful heart, we start to feel bad. We feel shame, Right? We feel shameful. What did I just do? Oh, man. And it might not hit us right away. Sometimes it takes a little bit of time, and all of a sudden you're driving home, and you're like, why did I do that? Why did I say that? Lord, why did I even think those things today? So the Lord is saying, I dwell in the high and holy place with him who is contrite and humble. So I told you this, this one verse, right, is getting so fun. There's so much we can take from it. And then he doesn't stop there. Look at what he says next. Some of you already read ahead. And here's what he says and why he says that he dwells with you and I when we are contrite of heart and humble of spirit. Okay? Contrite and humble of spirit. He says... To revive, can I say another word there? To restore, get down. Somebody said it for me. Thank you. Are you getting excited with me? To make new, to perfect. See, I found a connection in this passage to 1 Peter 5.10. And in 1 Peter 5.10 it says, and may the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore. Did you see that? Will himself perfect. Oh, there's another word we can add there in Isaiah. This is like really hitting my heart right now. Because I start to think, 
Lord Jesus, you don't mess around. When you want to do something, you want to do it right. When you start something, you want to do it all the way till it's done. You want to do it until it's finished. But he's reminded us over and over that this isn't just going to be finished here while we're on this earth, right? So he says, while you've suffered for a little while, church, what a beautiful and also difficult perspective of life. Because sometimes the suffering that we go through here in life doesn't feel like a little while. Sometimes we're stuck in our head, in our heart, in our hurt, and we're saying, Lord, when is this going to end? Lord, when are you going to get me out of this? This is hurting so much and so deep right now. This pain that somebody has caused me has hurt me to the core. It's shaken up my whole life. And you're saying that it's just for a little while. And we stay stuck right there and we say, Lord, how can you say that it's just for a little while? This feels like an eternity. But then he says, oh, but wait, there's an eternity that you haven't even tasted yet. There's an eternity that if you give me, if you give me the chance, if you really surrender and give me the chance, you start walking in that eternity today. And that's the reminder for us today. This restoration process, yeah, it can hurt sometimes. Yes, it can be difficult sometimes. Yes, it can be hard to swallow sometimes. And we don't understand why most of the time. Why are you doing this? Why are you allowing this for me? We don't understand. But he says, oh, man, but if you just give me the chance, seriously give me the chance and surrender it all to me, there's an eternity that you can start walking with me in today. You don't have to wait until you're dead. You don't have to wait until my second coming. I'm here today to help you walk in this eternity. After you have suffered a little while, it says, will himself. <laughs> Katardizo is the Greek word to perfect. And I said, well, Lord, perfect? It doesn't sound like restoration is perfection. There's still blemishes when there's restoration. Even when there's healing, there's wounds, scars from those wounds. Even when we're healed, there's a little bit left over just to remind us of what we've been through. That's what I believe. There's just enough to remind you and I that we don't want to go back to that place. That we don't want to have to face that again. And we say, Lord, whatever you have to do to keep me away from that, please do it. Do you get where I'm going? He says, will himself perfect you and make you strong. Look at that. Oh, man. Firm and steadfast. Those are some wonderful words right there. Even when he's not done, you can say, Lord, you're making me. I'm not yet. I love my boys' school because their principal is teaching them these, like, you know, skills. Not to just say, I don't know how. Well, today we can say, I'm not there yet, but you're making me stronger. I'm not there yet, but I'm standing firmer than I was yesterday. I'm not there yet, but I'm a little more steadfast than I was last week. I think I'm going to make it as long as you're the one restoring me, right? How does that connect to Isaiah 57? If you go back, I hope you didn't lose it. He says to revive. He says to revive, which also means to help us get up again when we've fallen down. Help us get going again when we feel a little too tired. When the stresses of life and the anxieties of life are overwhelming, he says, hey, I'm here to revive you and get you back up. He says, I'm here to revive the spirit of the humble. Isn't that something? So let's read that one again without stopping this time. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble heart to revive the spirit of the humble. Isn't that powerful? To revive the spirit of the humble. There's a passage in Mark chapter 2 
And this passage, I thought, wow, it didn't jump out at me right away, Jose. It took a few times of me reading it to realize that Jesus was about to start a restoration process in Levi, who later he changes to Matthew. Let's put ourselves in his shoes for a quick second. This is going to be the last illustration we use today. At first glance and at first reading, I didn't think anything of this regarding restoration. Then I started thinking about Matthew. Here's a young Jewish man. You know what his profession was? A tax collector. Thank you, Stephanie. I don't know about you, but even today, I don't really like tax collectors. If anybody in here can say, oh, I love tax, you're probably one of them. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm messing around. I'm just messing with you. If you do it right, right, it shouldn't bother us. If we're really, hey, let's go. Okay, I'm going to take it another step. <laughs> you want to go? If he's really at work in our hearts, paying taxes should be no issue. It's no big deal. It's no big deal. Jesus told it to his own guys. Hey, just pay to Caesar what belongs to him. So here's this young man. Let's think of his parents for a second. Because, see, everybody hated this guy in the neighborhood, in the community. He stood at his booth, collected taxes. There was a long line of people. Nobody was there willingly. All grudgingly, all hesitating, all wanting to be somewhere else, wanting to do something else with their money. And here's one of their own. We have a word in Spanish, a gacho. Here's one of their own. And he's the one keeping tabs. Hey, you owe from last week. You need to pay up. If you don't pay up, they're going to come knocking at your door. Who? The soldiers. Can you imagine having to face your own friends, your own family in that line? Do, uh, do we kind of get it now? So he probably spent his days alone. He, sp- he probably spent his off days by himself. He probably spent his leisure time by himself. He probably lived by himself. When he went to the store, he, nobody probably said hi to him. You have those mornings where you just kind of like, you just want to have your own alone time. You go to a nice little coffee shop. There's hardly anybody in there. And all of a sudden, somebody's like, Pastor Joe. And you're like, hey. Hey, we all have days where we just want to chill. I said that earlier, right? But see, in the kingdom, God didn't call anybody to chill. We all have work to do, and we all got to stay busy, and we got, we got work to do. So we kind of have a thought of who Matthew is, right, and what his life might have been like. Anywhere he went, I'm sure people called them names. Betraying your own people. Backstabbing. Nobody likes to get called names. And then when you're alone and you don't have anybody, it makes me wonder, did his parents have him over for dinner every day? I'm sure he had nice things. He made good money. I'm sure he had a nice home. He must have had a really nice yard or dining area or something. But then Jesus stepped into his life. But then Jesus stepped into your life. But then Jesus stepped into my life. 
And the things that everybody looked at that were ugly, disgraceful, shameful, he began to transform. And he began to change. So I started looking at this passage in Mark chapter 2. Even deeper and deeper, and I started thinking, hmm, here Jesus calls this guy out. And he tells him, hey, I want you to come follow me. I want you to be part of what I'm doing. I'm building up a little crew. <laughs> we're going to be small, but we're going to do some mighty things. And he probably questions Jesus because nobody ever wanted him to be a part of anything. He was never invited to the weddings. He was never invited to the quinceañeras. He was never invited to the cumple. That means the birthday party. He was never invited over. Hey, we're throwing some ribs on the grill. Come over. Oh, what's the occasion? We're just chilling, fool. You ever get that call? That's fun. No, Steve? Don't lie. Those are the best ones because it's like, what? No occasion? Just because? Wow, I'm there. We're going over to Koba's house. What's he doing? We're grilling. Well, actually, he's grilling. I remember he invited us over, like, you know, it was during the pandemic. And he's like, hey, come over. We're all healthy. We're all good. Who's coming over? You, Los, Georgie. All right, I'm there. There's just a few of us. Everybody good? Yeah. Nobody has COVID? No. Come over. Let's hang out for a little bit. Matthew didn't get none of that stuff. That's messed up. But see, Jesus had a mighty plan and purpose for his life. And Matthew starts coming into that life with Christ. I can imagine that as he began to restore his life, he began to restore the relationship with his parents. All of a sudden, his friends, or I'm sorry, he didn't have any friends. All of a sudden, those around him that were with Jesus started, okay, accepting him a little bit at a time. But initially, it was like, why are, you, why are we going to his house? They were all hanging out of his house, at his house, and they're like, why is he doing this? Why is he here with this guy? This guy's the worst guy he could be hanging out with. What's his problem? They're talking about Jesus, right? And Jesus is just chilling there, dipping his pita bread in the hummus. <laughs> and he probably had a glass of wine. It's the reality of it. That was their customs. That was their culture. They were chilling olives with feta cheese. My mouth is starting to water right now. Some nice little crackers or pita bread, olive oil, all kinds of Italian seasoning in it, right, like basil. Yeah. And they're just chilling. And Jesus don't have a care in the world. He just keeps dipping his bread, sipping on his wine. I would never say that in our Spanish service. <laughs> and everybody else is worried about what it looks like on the outside. Everybody else is worried about who he's hanging around with. And Jesus says, man, I didn't come for those who are well. There's people who are sick. There's people who need healing. There's people that need restoration. Back to their families, their church, and their community. And we're sitting there judging each other at the table. And that's our Lord and Savior, Jesus. And he's welcomed each and every one of us to the table. And he says to us today, today he says to you and I, 
Say this, say this. Today he's saying this to me. This is for me. And what is that? It's this. When we look through these passages and we look through these stories, what does it mean for you and I? It means that he wants to bring restoration to each and every one of us, to a church, a family, a community, an individual. He wants to make you and I whole again. Where you feel you are lacking, he says, no, I've come to make you know that you are whole. When you feel that you can't do it anymore and that you're losing the strength to go on, he's reminding us, I'm the one that's here to give you strength. When you feel like you can't get up in the morning because the anxieties and the stresses of life are so heavy, he says, hey, I'm dwelling with you and I'm here today with you to raise you back up. I'm here to raise you back up. It doesn't matter how deep or how low you've fallen. He says, I'm going to leave that high and dwelling place because that's exactly what Jesus did. He was a great example of reaching down and picking us up, picking somebody up. He said, I'm going to leave my heavenly dwelling. I'm going to go down there to the earth, and I'm going to raise each and every one of you back up by dying on the cross for you. So he says to you and I, he's here to raise us up. When you and I feel like, we're all messed up on the outside and the inside. He says, I'm here to perfect you. I'm here to be the one to say, you are perfect just the way you are. Come alongside with me and let's get busy. When you and I feel like we're worn out, we're tired, he says, hey, I'm here to renew your spirit. I'm here to renew your mind and renew your heart. That no matter what you face tomorrow... He's like, I'm going to be right there with you, and you're going to get through it as long as you stay close to me. And you make me your dwelling place. Let's stand up. The Lord knows where you are today. And the Lord knows the strength you need for today. He knows every single area in your life that you need renewed today. He knows it about my life. And all he's saying is, come to me. Come to me. And let me. Let me. Give me a chance. We sang a song earlier. I don't know if you guys have it in mind, but the words were exactly what you and I need when we're going through those storms. And they're words directly from the word of God, the words from today that you and I can say, Lord, I may not be there yet. We can take those words from 1 Peter and say, Lord, you're strengthen, strengthening me every day. I may not be there yet, but I'm on my way. As hard as it may feel sometimes to say those words, you have to dig deep and say, Lord, I can't even speak these words today, but your word can speak them for me. And I, I'm having even a hard time believing them. But your spirit can help me believe them. Help me to stand firm. Help me to be restored. Help me to be steadfast. And you watch God begin to lift you up. And you watch God begin to heal the brokenness in your heart, in your spirit, in your mind. And you watch God restore you back and give you the life that he created you to have. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful morning in your word and your presence. It's only by your grace that we are all here today. Each and every one of us is a powerful witness and testimony, a miracle of your mighty hand at work in our lives. As we leave today, 
As we leave today, Lord, help me, help us. Strengthen me, strengthen us to not just keep this word for ourselves. But to allow you to guide us to somebody, direct us to someone that needs to hear the hope that is in you, Lord Jesus. Because I've already received it and you're at work in my life. And if you're strengthening me, if you're reviving me, if you're lifting me, then I know you can do it to my friend. I know you can do it to my sister. I know you can do it for my brother. I know you can do it for my neighbor. I know you can do it for a relative, a friend, whoever it is, a co-worker that needs your love in their life. That needs your touch in their life. The same way you're touching my life. So give us, Lord, that strength and give us that desire to go out and take restoration to the streets, to our neighborhoods, to our families. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you, church.